Good morning. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma. Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott recently visited the United States, and China was a topic of concern in his conversations with President Barack Obama, congressional leaders, and other U.S. audiences. How does Australia view China's rise, and what does it think of America's pivot to Asia? Joining us this morning to discuss these issues is Hugh White, professor of strategic studies in the School of International Political and Strategic Studies at the. Australian National University, and he is also the author of *The China Choice: Why America Should Share Power*. Hugh, good morning. Welcome to the show. Nice to be with you. As the subtitle of your book indicates, you believe that America needs to relinquish primacy in Asia and should share power with a rising China. We do want to get into that in just a bit. But how does the Tony Abbott government view a rising China? Does it also believe that the U.S. should share power? Uh, no, I don't think、uh, the government here in Australia has, has yet got that far. But it does, I think, recognise all Australians recognise、uh, that there are very big issues in Asia.、Uh, as China's power grows,、um, we all want uh, uh, the United States to stay in Asia, play a very strong role in Asia. We all see how important the U.S. presence in Asia has been to Asia's peace and stability in the past, and it's, all, it's very hard for Australians to imagine. A stable and secure future for Asia and for Australia, if America doesn't continue to play that role. On the other hand, we value our relationship with China enormously. We see China's rise as a very good thing, not just for the people of China, but also for the region. It's economically central for the region, particularly for Australia, and we very much、um, want to see. Uh, the U.S. and China get on well. Therefore, whilst we see America's continued role in Asia is important, we think it's very important that, that role should should evolve in such a way that China is, in the end, willing to accept it, willing to live with it. And、uh, I, I think there's a there's big debates in Australia as there are elsewhere as to how that can best be done.、Um, Indeed, and, and in fact, in your book, you suggest one way of doing it, which is for the U.S. to. To share power with with China, and could you tell our audiences a little bit about how that power sharing arrangement would look like, or what that power sharing arrangement would look like? It's a really critical question, and of course, one part of the answer is we don't know in the end the kind of power sharing relationship that the U.S. and China might reach would need to be negotiated by those countries, and where exactly that negotiation would end up is hard to say. But I think there are some, a few key principles. The first is that I think. Uh, China would have to、uh, commit itself to respecting、uh, a number of really core, fundamental international norms, the sort of norms that are、uh, embodied in the UN Charter, for example, and particularly and relevant to present developments, uh, uh, the, uh, the commitment not to use force to try and resolve international disputes. I think that's that's a foundational principle that nobody would be interested in compromising.、Uh, On, and, would, and China would also have to accept that the United States would continue to play、uh, a very big role in, in Asia, not perhaps as big a role as it's played in the past, but、uh, would continue to play a very significant role. On the other hand, the United States, I think, would have to also make some very big steps. It would have to absolutely accept the legitimacy of China's present government. Uh, whilst, of course, U.S. governments formally accept that, there remains, I think, in a lot of U.S. policy and a lot of U.S. attitudes,、uh, a kind of a, a hankering for the idea that the Chinese Communist Party might、um, pass into history. I don't think that's something the United States 
can expect the Chinese government, or for that matter, China as a whole, to accept. So I think that's something that's got to be made clear. I think it's also got to recognise that even where China's interests as China sees them differ from America's, as long as China's behaving within those basic norms, the US must negotiate with China, must accept the legitimacy of China's interests, even where they just differ from America. It doesn't mean it has to accept everything that China wants, but it does mean it has to negotiate with China on those issues. And thirdly, I think it has to accept that China will develop increased armed forces and it shouldn't seek to limit or refrain or restrain China's military developments in any way in which the United States would not be willing to accept itself. Now, all three of those things I recognise are very big things to ask America to do. On the other hand, the alternative seems to be likely to be escalating strategic rivalry with China, which would be extraordinarily difficult and dangerous, and I think in the end it would be a rivalry that the United States would be unlikely to win. Do you think China's behaviour in recent years has made it more difficult for the US to accept the type of uh, advice you just provided? So, for instance, this, the, obviously we're, you know, we're, uh, the US has been quite concerned about uh, China's eviction of the Philippines from Scarborough Shoal in 2012, the establishment of an air defence zone in the East China Sea last November, and then, of course, more recently, the positioning of a, a deep water oil rig uh, in disputed waters in, in the South China Sea near the Paracel Island. So f- all and, and there, there are all kinds of other behaviors similar to that. Do you think that type of Chinese behavior has made it much more difficult for the U.S. to accept uh, the task of accommodating China's rise? Oh, yes, I think I think that's certainly true. And I think that reflects the the difficulty and danger of the situation we're in in Asia at the moment because I think China would also say the same thing about America. China would say that uh, that that America's a pivot policy, its move to strengthen its uh, its alliances and its military position in Asia. Some would even say aspects of the TPP proposal. These are all intended, as the Chinese often say, to contain China. So I think the, the, the risk we have at the moment is that the steps taken by both sides, by both the US and by China, are seen by the other as being incompatible with a kind of uh, collaborative relationship which we'd all like the US and China uh, to have. I think it's worth making the point, though, that when, when I look at all of those steps that you've just mentioned, and I agree they are, they are destabilising and disconcerting, uh, I think it's worth worth recognising, at least by my analysis, that China's primary motive there is, in fact, to compel the United States to start taking China more seriously. I think China, I think Beijing would prefer the United States uh, to leave Asia. I think China would prefer to, to replace the United States as a primary power in Asia. Uh, and I think it's hoping to undermine the US position in Asia by undermining the credibility of America's strategic alliances and commitments to countries like the Philippines and Japan and in a broader way Vietnam precisely by putting on those countries the kind of pressure that uh, has been imposed by the incidents and, and policies that you've described. I think the risk for the United States is that that pushes the US in the position of having to make a choice between confronting China militarily on the one hand or stepping back and seeing those alliances and relationships with her on the other, and I think that's a that's a very bad choice for the United States to face. It's much better for the United States to try and change the game by putting a choice back on China. We are speaking with Professor Hugh White of the Australian National University. Well, you've written that most of the U.S. policy community seems to think that China is 
not actually serious about challenging U.S. primacy in Asia, and that Beijing merely doubts U.S. resolve to respond to China's provocations. So their solution, the U.S. policy community solution, seems to be that. If America could just beef up the credibility of its deterrence, then China will back off. And and you've argued, and you've already argued a bit here, that this is insufficient for lowering the risk of armed confrontation, and it's also a very dangerous game to play. Could you elaborate a bit more on that for us? Yes,、uh, look, I think it's a really critical point、uh, in、uh, in the discussions I've had with、uh, with many U.S. officials and analysts and so on. Uh, I, I continue to find a, a deep scepticism about whether China's challenge to American primacy needs to be taken seriously,、uh, and that's partly a reflection of judgments that China itself is weaker than it looks economically or politically. You see judgments that that the that Chinese leadership is preoccupied with、uh, with an economic crisis in China or preoccupied with political crises in China and doesn't have the will or the energy to、uh, to challenge the United States. Uh, for for leadership in Asia, and, and you also see the argument that China itself benefits from、uh, U.S. leadership in Asia, and therefore it will be contrary to China's and even the CCP's interests to try and undermine it.、Uh, I think、uh, I think both of those arguments are wrong. I, I, I think、uh, the Chinese leadership today feels easily strong enough economically and politically、uh, to challenge U.S. primacy. I think. When Xi Jinping talks about a new model of great power relations,、uh, I think he very much is trying to indicate that he doesn't like the old model. That he wants to, to relate to the United States in a very different kind of way. He wants at least to be treated as an equal.、Uh, and I think、uh, the U.S. policy community has yet to take seriously. How committed China is to that? Well, even、um, if even if China is indeed committed to that, is there something wrong with beefing up U.S. credibility? Well, I think it, not not if it's aimed at an intelligent and achievable objective. If the U.S. aim in Asia is to preserve U.S. primacy as the foundation of the Asian order and the foundation of the U.S.-China relationship,、um, and, and if that if that objective precludes any substantial accommodation of China's ambitions to play a larger role in the region,、uh, then I think that's very unwise because I think it's unlikely to succeed. I think China. Will be willing to play to pay a very big price and take very big risks to confront the United States directly, in order to change the nature of the U.S.-China relationship and to and to acquire greater say in Asia for China. And so, I think if the United States insists on preserving primacy as its principal objective in Asia, then the risk of escalating strategic rivalry with China is very high. And I think that's bad. Asia. I also think it's bad for the United States. I don't think、uh, China is a country that the United States can、uh, defeat in that kind of rivalry. For example, the way it defeated the Soviet Union. China is not the Soviet Union in many different ways, but above all, its economy works. Well, how how is the U.S. to build a more equal relationship with China when much of what China wants is not for? America to give. So, for instance, it wants the Diaoyu Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea. It wants the Paracel、uh, Islands and the Spratlys in the South China Sea. And it, some of those it already has. But there,、um, and, and then of course China wants many other things. But but there are a lot of things that China wants that that the U.S. can't isn't exactly in a position to give away. Yes, it's a it's a very good point.、Um, Uh, but I think、uh, it, it, the, the key thing to understand here is that what China is really after here is status, and 
the United States is in a position to 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 um, to give China some status, uh, to concede to China the status of an equal. Uh, now, it's, it always seems surprising when big and serious countries um, seem to care so much about something so insubstantial as status, but actually status is terribly important for countries. Uh, Americans don't always see this clearly because America has so much status, uh, but for a country like China, with China's history, its ancient history, its recent history, the sense of it being treated as an equal, as, as being been uh, conceded the status of a great power in the international system is, I think, extremely important. It's, 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 it's I think, one of the key elements of, of Xi Jinping's China dream. And, and I think that's something that China is going to be willing to put a lot of effort into and accept real risks uh, to achieving. And that's something that the United States can give China. I see. We've been speaking with uh, Hugh White, Professor of Strategic Studies in the School of International Political and Strategic Studies at the Australian National University and author of The China Choice, Why America Should Share Power. Professor White, thank you very much for chatting with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Please send us your comments on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Takes Over or on Twitter at Rising China. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to China Takes Over the World. I am Ying Ma. Prime Minister Tony Abbott was in Washington recently and discussed China and the U.S. pivot to Asia with American officials. We are delighted to have with us Professor Bates Gill to discuss these issues. Professor Gill is the CEO of the U.S. Study Center at the University of Sydney. Bates, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. How does Australia fit into the U.S. pivot to Asia? What role does it play? Well, you know, it's one of the five treaty allies, of course, of the United States here in the Asia-Pacific region. Um, but it is, as well, uh, one of the key so-called Five Eyes partners uh, with the United States, uh, the sort of Anglo uh, Anglophone countries, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States, who cooperate very, very closely in terms of intelligence sharing. Um, and on top of that, of course, um, Australia, among the five treaty allies in this region, I think we could say is, uh, in, a, in a sense, least problematic. And what I mean by that is uh, you're not embroiled uh, either in domestic political upheaval, as is Thailand, uh, or tied up in sensitive uh, territorial issues with its neighbors, as we find with, for example, Japan or the Philippines or South Korea. So you, you add all that up, and I think it's quite clear, um, as the president said, um, during the Prime Minister's visit, um, that uh, the United States has no better ally uh, or friend uh, in the Asia-Pacific uh, than Australia. What does the U.S. expect Australia to do as part of the U.S. pivot to Asia? Well, I think, first, we have to recognize that uh, the president's rebalance strategy, uh, refocusing of 
resources and attention uh, in this part of the world is not only a military matter. Uh, and in fact, I think in many respects, um, other aspects of this strategy as, say, trade or investment, uh, political engagement, uh, expansion of diplomatic presence and soft power, those other aspects in many in many ways are, are far, far more important for the long term. And in all of these aspects, whether it is the military or speaking of issues of trade or diplomacy, it's very clear that Australia, as it's said here, you know, punches well above its weight. That is to say that for a country of only about 22, 23 million persons, uh, Australia is nevertheless a G20 a country. Uh, it's very, very active diplomatically and politically, certainly in this region, um, uh, and, and particularly in Southeast Asia and in the South Pacific Island nations, but even globally. Uh, we, we recognize that Australia, as a kind of very uh, robust middle power, um, you know, can, can pull its weight easily and, and has, has a good bit of influence uh, in, in different parts of the world, and particularly here in Asia. So, you know, I think um, we're going to be, the United States is looking to Australia, for example, uh, to be a strong partner in, in getting the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, trade and investment deal done, uh, looking to Australia to continue to expand its investments uh, in the United States. It's one of the largest investors in the United States. Um, and, of course, keeping its economy open to American investment as well. Well, well as part of the... On the, diplomatic, on the diplomatic front, I think, you know, just one more point. I, you know, Australia is extremely important for the United States uh, in trying to help strengthen some of the multilateral um, organizations, especially uh, the ASEAN-related organizations in Southeast Asia. So during uh, Prime Minister Abbott's visit, he and President Obama announced the U.S.-Australia Force Posture Agreement, which flushed out the details of the rotation of U.S. Marines in, in Darwin, Australia, and then paves the way for further military cooperation. How does China view Australia's active participation in the U.S. rebalance on this front? Well, um it's a little bit hard to judge uh, because I think uh, from China often we hear what I think really amounts to nothing much more than rhetoric. Um, um, but also, I suppose there may be some aspects of, of U.S.-Australia uh, military-related uh, cooperation that could legitimately cause some concern. So let me just walk through that. I mean, in terms of the, the marine rotations through Darwin, we're talking about a maximum of about 2,500 Marines being rotated for no more than six months a year uh, in the northern Australian city, or I should say just outside the northern city of Darwin. You know, this does not pose in any measure any kind of threat uh, to China. Absolutely not. And the strategists and the smart people in Beijing understand that. Uh, this is clearly a measure that's going to help bolster the, the capacity of both Australia and the United States, primarily, I would say, to respond to contingencies, including humanitarian relief-related contingencies, basically in the Southeast uh, Asia region. Now, more broadly, uh, the, 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 the posture agreement, which was uh, reached between the president and the prime minister, 
also looks farther ahead. Um, there's nothing concrete yet, but I think we can expect uh, to see a deepening of cooperation in terms of space uh, surveillance, uh, possible increased cooperation around questions of missile defense, ballistic missile defense, uh, where Australian, again, space surveillance uh, capabilities could uh, come in handy and be very useful. Um, and even further down the road, the possibility, still not agreed to, but possibility, that Australia could become a um, uh, expand its capacity to host uh, American uh, naval vessels, including nuclear submarines. Now, those measures I could see, you know, down the road, uh, China having some concern because it would improve American and allied capabilities if, if there were to be some sort of increase in confrontation or, or worse. Um, it, would, it would help improve American capabilities to respond to, to potential uh, you know, confrontations and the like with China. Okay. Um, but these things are, are well down the road. Um, and really, it's only one piece, I would say. If I were sitting in Beijing and looking out, I'd be far more concerned about American um, relations with countries like Japan, uh, with Vietnam, uh, with the Philippines, countries that are far, far closer to Chinese borders. We are speaking with Professor Bates Gill of the University of Sydney. When uh, Prime Minister Abbott was in Washington, he said, uh, quote, Australia has been America's partner in every conflict from World War I to Afghanistan, unquote. Uh, and then he also said later at the White House, uh, quote, Australia will be an utterly dependable ally of the United States, unquote. On the other hand, former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser um, has argued for more strategic independence from the U.S. and, and has raised concerns about the military alliance with with America and warned that that alliance could could actually be drawing Australia into a regional conflict in the future. Uh, do do Australians think that their country has been too dependent of an ally for the U.S. and as a result has gotten dragged into conflicts like Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq that they shouldn't have been involved in? Well, you know, this is a diverse uh, country politically. There are, there are mixed views on this. There's a wide range of views on this. Um, you know, we can't deny that, yes, uh, there is a, uh, a segment um, of the, uh, of the uh, say, strategic elite and even the broader uh, population, which, you know, is wary of, of allied uh, commitments with the United States, um, you know, fears somewhat uh, that those commitments would um, pull Australia into unwanted conflicts. And yes, point to examples uh, in their view of this um, uh, policy or the, these, these sorts of mistakes in their view. Well, well but as in China past, rises, will um, Australia increasingly see their alliance with America to be a burden, especially in light of potential conflict? Pretty. As China rises, will um, Australia increasingly see their alliance with America to be an, a burden, especially in light of potential conflict between the U.S. and China? Um, well, potentially. I mean, I think that's something that obviously uh, folks in Washington and in Canberra want to avoid, um, and I think are devoting diplomatic uh, resources precisely to striking the right balance in both capitals, the United States and in Canberra. 
um, because obviously uh, no one wants to uh, reach a situation uh, in which um, that kind of a choice would have to be made. Uh, I think the key, obviously, going forward is smart diplomacy. Uh, this isn't the first time uh, that Australia has had to uh, strike um, smart balances between its strategic relationship with the United States on the one hand and um, continuing to expand and have stable and constructive relations with its Asian neighbors on the other. So this isn't anything particularly new. Um, obviously, uh, the size and importance of China, economically in particular, uh, certainly in terms of trade to Australia, uh, maybe raises some new questions uh, about how to strike the right balance. But I think it can be done. Um, and you, know, and you think of what do you, and the people are watching, and it's something to be concerned about. Do you think Australia can, um, or do you think Australia will have to choose sooner or later between China, which is its biggest trading partner in the U.S., its most important military ally? If, if, it, if, if it gets to that point, then everybody's failed. Uh, Washington, Beijing, and Canberra have all failed. If that's what happens, uh, then we should chalk it up to some of the worst uh, <laughs> diplomatic and strategic thinking uh, on historical record. So um, I suppose it could happen, um, but I think um, it's certainly not what should happen. Oh. And I, I think all three capitals understand very clearly uh, that that would be a worst outcome, and I suspect will be avoided. Well, Tony Abbott's government has been growing closer to Japan, but it continues to maintain very good ties with China. Now, um, this isn't that easy to pull off, especially given how hostile Japan and China have been to each other recently. How has the Abbott government been able to do this? Well, it is an interesting development. I think uh, politically, uh, sort of ideologically, if you will, uh, Prime Minister Abbott and uh, Prime Minister Abe, uh, you know, are somewhat um, of the same feather. Uh, they they, they uh, have uh, known one another uh, previously um, during the time of uh, Prime Minister Abe's um, service as Prime Minister um, uh, earlier, and so I think uh, maybe there's a bit of an affinity there. Um, I think too uh, that. Uh, Prime Minister Abbott uh, was to uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we are... ...as a bilateral ally of the United States, uh, but proved Australia's value as a friend, as a partner. And she began to sort of stand out as not a for prime for the for Prime Minister Abbott. And that helps explain, I think, um, but Bates. I'm, I'm sorry, we're beginning to, to we're beginning to lose you. It seems like all of a sudden our reception uh, is not so good. So I will just wrap up here. We've been speaking with Professor Bates Gill, CEO of the U.S. Study Center at the University of Sydney. Bates, thank you very much for chatting with us. Please send us your comments on Facebook at facebook.com/slash China Takes Over or on Twitter at Rising China. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am. Ying Ma.